Hey, this is Ashley, and I'm excited to announce that I'm accepting two new mentees into the Mentor Me Accelerator program. This program is specifically for new and mid-level professional women who are looking to accelerate and advance their career this year. If you know you have immense skills and you are looking to ensure that you know how to articulate them and position yourself as the expert that you are to grow your career this year, this program is for you. It's going to be six weeks of small group intensive, really small. There's only going to be you and four other women in your cohort. Um, and it's going to allow you the opportunity to get my expertise and my nearly 15 years of experience in career development so that you can, one, know how to articulate what you're good at, two, know how, what your values are and how to identify your career area of impact. Make sure that you know how to um, have your positions, ensure that you stand out as a top candidate plus interview, negotiation, and first 90 days on a job strategy to make sure that you get support in through the entire career development. We're starting in October, just a couple weeks away, and I want you to be a part of this cohort. Don't let another few months go by before you take real action on advancing and investing in your career development. Take the first step by going to mentor-me.org and clicking on Accelerator. Again, that's mentor-me.org. Click on Accelerator and apply today. I can't wait to mentor you. Hey, this is Ashley. Hey, this is Marcy. And this is School on Life, a weekly podcast about life, love, and occasionally libations. I'm really excited because I am accepting new mentees into the Mentor Me Accelerator. October will be the last cohort of 2020. I cannot believe that I've been able to serve women throughout the year in this program, and I'm excited to serve um, just a, another small group um, this year. The October cohort is going to be special because I am also um, including... Um, some additional workshops, uh, specifically on um, LinkedIn and doing some um, like public development and public, you know, how to sort of position yourself as a public expert too. So I'll be um, adding that to the October cohort because I know that, um, you know, how you show up online and in that online space is critical too. So I'm really excited about that. If you know you've wanted to work with me in career development, you feel confident I would be a good mentor for you. I'm excited to serve you make sure you go to mentor-me.org, click on Accelerator, and you can apply for the program. Um, the application is an online form, and then you'll schedule a 20-minute mentor moment with me. That'll be give me an opportunity to just learn more about you, learn more about the most pressing issues facing your career right now, and just make sure that the um, Mentor Me Accelerator is absolutely the best fit for you. So that's going to allow us to do some of that qualification early on. Um, and then if you are a good fit for the program, we'll get you started. We'll get you access to your pre-work. We'll schedule you for orientation, and then you'll start um, in the first full week of October. So I'm really excited um, about this uh, program in general, but this October cohort I know is going to be really special. Um, I do have two slots remaining, so um, if you know you want one of those to be yours, go ahead and schedule right on my website at mentor-me.org. So next up is... So next up is I Digress, and this week we are talking how do you like your racism. <laughs> We're going to talk about bias, discrimination, and how racism shows up in its many forms. I often get into debates with Southerners about living in the South and how I could never because of its racist and violent past. 
But what they often remind me is that there is racism in the North too, often more covert, which often proves more dangerous and has long-term effects. So listen as Marcy and I talk about our shared experience of growing up in the Midwest and how racism impacted our lived experience. And now Marcy uh, living uh, in the in the South, uh, in smack dab in Atlanta, Georgia, and now I live in Pennsylvania. So we'll talk about our experience with racism or lack thereof in these spaces. So Marcy, um, I'll have you kick us off. Do you feel like you experienced um, racism, whether it was covert or overt, um, living in, um, you know, the Midwest, living in Illinois? Yeah, I'm sure I experienced racism growing up, but I don't think I really became aware of it until I was a bit older. I'm like, I remember being in high school and, you know, being able to go out shopping and get some malls and things like that and being followed around in different stores. Um, So that is definitely a very vivid memory that I have. And especially being at a predominantly white high school, experienced microaggressions that I didn't really realize was racism until I got to like an HBCU and it's like oh that is what that was um I can't remember as much when I was very young um mostly because I grew up around like I grew up in a predominantly black community we didn't really venture too far outside of those realms all of my teachers were predominantly black so I don't remember it as much then but I think in a lot of ways reflecting and looking back on just like what systematic racism is what institutionalized racism is that it definitely impacted my growing up in a lot of ways just not in a way that I was very privy to um what about you do you believe you experienced racism growing up oh yes ma'am um I have a very specific story that I remember um I had to be it had to be before fourth grade. I want to say it was like second, between second and fourth grade. And um, I remember being in class. I remember like a a friend um, who was a white girl gave me a granola bar. Um, You know, we had like snack time in the middle of class or whatever. Um, And I was eating my granola bar and the teacher like grabbed my arm and she was like, why did you steal her granola bar? And I was like, what are you talking about? Like girl, huh? And I was like, she gave it to me. She was like, no, you stole her granola bar. I saw you stole her granola bar. I was like, what? And she called the police on me. She called the police. The police came to the school. They handcuffed me. They sent me by the principal's office and they waited for my mother to come because I had stolen a granola bar that I had not stolen. Um, My mother, of course, was hysterical, called the Channel 4 News and where we live, Channel 4, is like the investigative reporting. Ah, So she called the Channel 4 News and it was a whole thing. Like it was a big story uh, at the time. And like I knew that it was because I was black. I was a little black girl. I knew that it was racism. My parents were very um, like articulated a lot about like racism and the difference between black folk and white folks and and, um, discrimination that they had experienced, particularly my mother and like how to navigate that and what to be leery of. She was often articulating that. And so I have a lot of like experience with that of like those conversations and then I guess a lot of like unfortunately I wouldn't say a lot but there are several instances of racism and discrimination that particularly stand out to me from my childhood um and so like having those experiences I definitely can concur right that racism is definitely live and well in the midwest in the north sort of right wherever um 
and when I was in the South, like when I would visit the South, right? So we're talking about like the Mississippi, Georgias, you know, Florida's, et cetera. I was mostly around black people. Like I would go, the only time I would go was for like church conventions, right? And so like I didn't experience like some sort of overt racism when I was in the South because I was mostly around black folk. Um, but did you experience, like, did you visit the South growing up? And do you feel like your experience was different there or somehow you encountered more racism as a result? I don't think that I very much experienced or visited the South when I was growing up. I think the first time, when I was much younger, we lived in Texas for a little while, but again, y'all know, I don't remember nothing that happened to me in Texas. Um, And the only time that I remember being in Georgia was when we went on like a college tour. But again, we were going to HBCUs and just kind of in these college environments, so we didn't necessarily experience those things as much. So I can't say that my I can't say that my experiences were very different from the Midwest to the South, um, mostly because when I think about it now, I probably didn't pay a lot of attention to it. Like, I can't say that my parents really talked to me a lot about, like, Black and white folks and racism and discrimination at that much of a young age. I do distinctly remember a lot of things coming from, like, the black community kind of as internalized racism. So like my um, my grandmother wouldn't let me have an American girl doll, <laughs> like things like that. So I was aware of my blackness, but I don't think that I paid a lot of attention to how other people treated me in those ways. And I still kind of operate in a similar way, I think, um, because I just don't like my energy level is just, I feed a lot off of other people's energies. And so it's really difficult to always be in that space and try to be cognizant of things like the quote that I'm going to paraphrase and not quote directly, but to be conscious and to be black is essentially to be enraged at all times. And I really don't like being enraged at all times. So I am painfully aware that racism exists. And even when, um, when I think about living in, I was actually just talking to a family member about this last night, like, the question of how are we protecting ourselves right now? Like what is going to happen after the election and whether or not like we're afraid and things of that nature. And it's like, yeah, I live in a red state. (laughs) Like Atlanta is very blue, but Georgia is very red. And even like my neighbors have Trump pin signs in their yard. So like I am living that on a daily basis and I just don't have the capacity to always be thinking about racism and to be paying attention to it. It's like, I know it's there in its subtlest form and its microaggressions and its blatant outright forms, but I don't, I intentionally try to pretend as if it doesn't exist to protect myself on a regular basis. So like, I know it's there, right? Like I know that people say crazy things and even like I have a, um, I have a face mask right now that says Black Lives Matter on it. And every time I put it on, I'm terrified, right? Because I'm not sure how people are going to respond to that. If like going into some of these white spaces, somebody's going to say something. Like I was in Home Depot the other night and I'm like, don't get crunk on me because the shotgun is at the house. Like, (laughs) don't, don't try me. So that's kind of this, it's just an awareness that I don't know that I would necessarily be as um, mindful of if I was back at home, like 
if I was in Illinois, I probably wouldn't be thinking as much about wearing a Black Lives Matter mask in the same way that I do in Georgia or in the South. And so I think that that's kind of the difference now. It's not so much that I experience more or less. I am just more aware of it and more intentional about trying not to let it impact me. Um, and I know you don't live in the South, but like you're down here often. <laughs> and even up North, like, do you think that you experience um, more racism than you did when we were younger? Um, I don't experience more racism than we did when I was younger because I live in the Northeast. And I think that the, the small rural town that I live in is very blue, but surrounding communities are not. Um, and so um, I'm very particular about like what time I get home at night. I'm not getting home like after the sun's down, depending on who's what friend's house I'm leaving from and where he or she stays. Right. Um, yeah, so that is definitely a thing. I am really intentional about where I live because I literally, petty or not, like I could not live next to someone who had a Trump pen sign in their yard. Like I, li I literally would have to burn down the house, collect the insurance and move because the thing is, is that like, I, I hear you talk about like, you know, that, James Baldwin quote around like rage and consciousness and it's so true and I can't not be conscious like I just can't it's so hard not to be conscious um and I find myself even when I'm trying not to be conscious I find myself getting mad that I can't be conscious like it's just it's just infuriating and so um so yeah, so I think that that would be a, ch a real challenge for me. And I think that that is why I'm real intentional about sort of where I live, where I pay my taxes. Um, <laughs> yeah, and I even like one, I remember having a conversation with someone once like, oh, I can't live there because they don't believe in public aid. And as a child of public aid, as a child who grew up on public aid, I cannot imagine, I make too much money and y'all take too much out of my taxes for me to not be pouring into a public aid system, Medicare, Medicaid, uh, food stamps, WIC. Like, I need to live in a state where that's a value, where millions of dollars are going to those programs. Because without them, I literally would not be alive. So I, I would say that's a place where I struggle, but I actually don't struggle. My values are super clear and I live out those values in a real meaningful way. Um, and I'll be honest, I prefer my racism covert. Girl, you better keep it keep it from around me. You better keep keep it cute in front of me. Go home and say what you will, but keep it cute in front of me because, um, and it's not even like a violence thing. It's literally just like, it's like, it's not gonna go well for either of us. Both of us are now gonna have to have a bad day because you, you, ch you chose not to tuck in your racism. Um, I don't know, Marcy, what about you? Like, do you have a preference? when it comes to your racism definitely my preference is absolutely overt like I don't have time for the games I don't have time because the thing about co covert racism to me is there's that questioning piece there's that part where it's like did you really 
did you just come for me? <laughs> like, did you really just say that? Was that actually racism? Like, there's always that confusion and that questioning and that doubt. And then they can actually say something like, well, no, I really just meant that you were so smart and so articulate, right? And I don't have the time or energy for that. So I would rather you just go ahead and show me what your true colors are, put it out there, be super upfront so that I can be like, no, this is actually what you're doing and this is who you are. And there's no question about it because I. I don't have time. I like clarity. I like focus. I like tangible things that we can work on. And if you're being covert about it and you're being subtle and it's underneath something, it's so much harder to actually get to the purpose and the point of that. Like put your Trump pin sign in the yard. So I know that when I have my Girl Scout cookies, I can just pass right on over your door. I don't want to have to deal with it. I don't want to have to deal with the little like, the little jabs and the little questions and the little doubts. And so, um, but what I try as much as possible to do, because I know that covert racism exists and that is the more um, common form of it, is educate people in a way that is free free from energy from me. So like sharing a post on social media with people who may have racist friends or y'all little racist selves might have slid in under my radar <laughs> so that you can see it and you can read and have something. Speaking out in the ways that I can, um, voting like at the local levels, the primaries, all of those, making sure that that is a part of my regular practice. Like those are more of the ways that I care about um dealing with racial incidents or racist incidents my family member was asking me about like do I ever talk to racists or talk to Trump supporters and the answer is a resounding absolutely not because I get paid this a no absolutely not I get paid lots of money to work on people's problems. And so if they would like to pay me and there's a surcharge for the emotional tax that it comes for me to work with the racist, if you would like to pay me to talk about your racism, sure, ma'am. However, no, we don't have anything to talk about. So I, again, try to do as much as possible to maintain my peace, to protect my energy. And if it's something like small that I can do, of course, on the opposite side of that, supporting causes that are actively working to dismantle white supremacy and dismantle privilege, those things I invest as much time and energy into as I can. But in terms of like directly confronting people, talking to people, arguing with people, it's not going to happen for me. Um, what about you? How do you deal with the racist incidents, whether overt or covert? Not as well as I would like. Um, when it's when it's overt. Um, I still find myself shrinking, hiding, being angry that I didn't speak up faster. I didn't advocate for myself or others. Um, I'm often like disappointed in that, wanting to do better, wanting to be more actionable in the moment. Um, And that's something that I'm really getting better at. Um, I think when it comes to covert racism, I'm really proud of some of the work that I've been doing. Like as a leader in an organization, I've really called my staff, I've called myself um, to really, you know, have goals that are related called myself to have goals that are related to equity and justice. I've called all of my staff to do the same. I've led nation, uh, um, organization-wide, um, you know, equity-related goals, um, like leveraging training and mentorship and um, 
professional development um, charges for staff and students um, in my work um, to center uh, equity and justice and to fight against covert racism and really challenging um, the university and organization I work for to do the same. And I've seen some headway in those spaces. So that's something I'm really proud of. And that's a way that I really fight the covert piece. Um, and I think, honestly, I, even though I, I, I prefer that if I had to choose and I find it easier to fight because I do think that um, hearts and minds and actions can be changed and I've seen it um, just even um, with my staff and even, you know, in just some of the ways that um, the colleagues that I work with are have been operationalized, particularly this year um, in the fight towards racial justice. So. Um, I'm really proud of that and I'm, I'm proud that I've been able to make some headway in that space. And I would say, you know, for those of you who are like, listen, I can't deal with the overt racism. Like I can't, you know, I would encourage you to protect your peace. Like, you know you, what you can tolerate, you know how to center your wellness. And it, like Texas might not be for you. Like it just may not be for you. You know, Maine may not be a lot better, but you might see a lot more rainbow flags than, you know, uh, you know, American flags, which these days seem to be a symbol of hate, unfortunately. Um, so yeah, like, I mean, I think prioritize you, prioritize your wellness. Um, like I'm very sort of acutely aware, right, that there is no safe space for Black folk, right? Like there, there is no hiding place. But I do think that there are places where we are, are, are safer than not. And I think that there are places where we can be more brave than not and do what you need to do to find those places for you and your family and move in shape. Um, so as we digress, Marcy, what would you say to someone who's considering like making a drastic change because of racism they've experienced um, in life or work or having to like relocate because of those experiences? Yeah, I would agree. Like definitely know your limits, know what you can deal with and don't be ashamed if being in a particularly racist environment is a place that you cannot be. Um, but I also think that a big part of dealing with red states and large um, gatherings of white folks is to make sure that you have buffers. So if you move to a place like Texas or you move to anywhere in the South that is predominantly red, like make sure that you have a community, like make sure that there are enough Black folks there, enough people of color there that you can at least build buffers around that because like Ashley said we don't we can't get away from it like it's not going anywhere like and even in the Midwest Minnesota is one of the racist places I ever lived right like let's not get it twisted it's everywhere so you're not going to be able to run away from racism but if you at least have the the different supports and the different community elements in place I think that that can just that can help tremendously. Um, but yeah, know yourself, like know what you can deal with, know what you're willing to put up with, make sure that you're in a work environment. Like if you're moving for work, what is the culture of your work environment? You cannot be in a racist work environment all day and then go to a racist neighborhood all day. That is not going to be helpful for your mental health and you're not going to be able to thrive wherever you are. So just make sure that you have the proper things in place to support you and serve as a buffer to the racism that is likely going to exist. And we digress. Let's move on to a lighter note, Marcy. 
<laughs> it's all black everything. What do you have for us this week? Yes, on a lighter note and in the um, theme of nostalgia, if you will, we are going to talk a little bit about reboots. So back in March of 2019, I want to say it was, there was a video that was released on YouTube of um, a like modern day version of Prince of Bel-Air. And at first everyone was like, oh my gosh, this is coming out. This is a real thing. It was not a real thing at the time. However, Will Smith saw the YouTube video and apparently has been in works with Mr. Cooper since then to actually bring the show back to television on Tuesday of last week. Um, it was announced on Will Smith's YouTube channel that the new series has been picked up by Peacock for two seasons, two seasons of hour-long um, Fresh Prince of Bel-Air reboots. The show will actually be called Bel-Air. And this is kind of a history-making thing because Will Smith even said himself that this has never happened. Like, it doesn't happen that someone just picks up a pilot for two seasons and run with it. So really excited about that. Will Smith is going to actually be an executive producer on the show. And, you know, he'll probably make some appearances at some point. I can't imagine. But the characters, what I really like about this reboot is that it's not like taking the old characters and just making them older. It's actually a fresh new set of people. And they all have kind of different, a different spin on the show that we knew growing up. So, for example, speaking of races, <laughs> Carlton is actually going to be a young um, modern day Republican. So that will be <laughs> interesting. <laughs> um, Hillary is essentially going to be the same person, but just think about like Hillary, her character with Instagram and Snapchat and TikTok. So we're going to have lots of that. Um, Uncle Phil is a judge now, so he's gone from being a lawyer to being a judge, but also he's going to have to persecute or prosecute and sentence black young black children. So lots of controversy in the show. It's going to be more of a drama as opposed to a comedy. Um, and it's just nice to see like beautiful things happen. So you put a little work out there, you put a little pilot together, put it out on YouTube and then Will Smith picked it up. I am all for rooting for Black people, making things happen. So I look for it. We don't have any word yet on um, when it's coming out, what we're going to be doing. But there is a little... We don't have any word on when it's coming out, but <laughs> we should know soon. Um, we should have some more details about the release. And I definitely look forward to seeing it when it comes out. Yes, I love that. And I love a good drama. Um, so I definitely will watch at least the first episode. I don't know if I can stomach a Black Republican. Not in my good free time. But, you know, <laughs> we will see. We gonna see. I'm excited to see it. Um, and speaking of um, reboots, let's dive into TVT. Uh, so we talked a little bit about, um, like, Throwback TV last week. So we thought we'd just continue that conversation. Because Sister Sister is back. Yes, so excited for that. Um, I mean, just so good. Moesha's back. I watched the episode of that the other day. Miles be dragging her. He be dragging her. How you let your little brother or whatever he is to her, whatever, drag you like that. It be hurting her little feelings. Um, Girlfriends is coming back um, if it's not already out. Um, and I'm sure there's more on the way. So um, have you watched any of the reboots? Uh, Marcy, anything stand out to you? I have not, but I'm super excited about Girlfriends. Like, it's 
Girlfriends is literally one of my favorite shows. So I'm really excited that that has been released. Um, I think Half and Half is coming up. I have not watched Sister, Sister, even though um, I'm still very much so entrenched in the game. And speaking of Moesha, Brandy is a big character on the game in this like BET switchover. And it's interesting to see her all grown up and playing um, this new character so yeah I, I'm still invested my energy in the game I'm trying to stick it out but BET is really trying my patience and Tia has left the show at this point so I have lots of feelings about that um but I'm trying really hard so no I haven't watched many more but I do plan on getting stepping the toe in because it feels good to to look back on all of those fun shows again Yes, and I um I agree, and I just learned that um, Brandy was in the new episodes, and I just, I did start watching the game, um, so far so good, really loving it, um, and I'm gonna, I've never seen Girlfriends, literally never seen an episode, so I'm so excited to watch it, um, definitely that is on my Saturday, Sunday plan, so I'm super hyped for that, um, and yeah, like, spend some time in that nostalgia, you know, what's true is that, like, we watch these shows, and some of it's cringeworthy, right, like, I think about the fat jokes they make on Moesha, girl, and, like, oh, it's just, it's just disgusting, but we know better, we do better, and I do think that, like, if you can stomach some of that, um, I do think that, like, celebrating them, uh, during this time, um, getting, helping them get their streams up is, is only good for those actors and actresses, um, in the long run, so. Yeah, I agree. That, that part is hard, especially (laughs) the game has a lot of, like, homophobic jokes in it. Um, there's a lot of just, like, Black women, white women commentary in it because of Kelly and Tasha, and that is very difficult to stomach and it doesn't it doesn't end fast enough for me like it kind of stays into these new seasons too and I'm like this was we're getting into like the 2011-2012 time period here so that was that's difficult to stomach so I definitely agree on that part and I remember kind of feeling conflicted about it too of is this still something that we should be supporting? Um, and even when I think about like Martin and all the shows that we used to watch and just how it's a testament of the time, but it is unfortunate to see how a lot of that does not um, grow well with time. Yeah, and what I think is true is that like this also means that we need to support like the new film and TV that's coming out now so that we can like have like our children's children, grandchildren, our co- our nieces, cousins, nephews, whatever, can like have like can think more fondly on our TV, right? Like cuz you know, is is just going to be, you know, we think about Sanford and Sons, like ain't no, you know what I'm saying? Like this is where we came from. So we a long way from there. So, you know, you think about Archie Bunker, right? Like we a long way from Archie Bunker. Um we a long way from Roseanne. The early seasons at least so i think that like we on the way we we moving in the right direction um unfortunately as painfully slow as it sometimes feels and that wraps up this week's episode thank you so much for listening i want to give a special shout out to our listeners august was one of our highest download months since 
May of 2018. Y'all rocked August 2020 out of the freaking park. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for your continued support. Three years strong and um, the hits keep on hitting. So thank you so much for listening. Thank you for sharing. Thank you for connecting with us uh, on social. We really love the community that we've built here. We're so incredibly proud of it. Um, and we look forward to serving you um, for many episodes to come. School's out. Class dismissed.